Hello and welcome to the Superior Comic Show. I'm your host, Peter. And today on the show, we have a huge guest. <laughs> yeah, chances are, if you watched the animated X-Men, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Ghostbusters, Jackie Chan Adventures growing up, this man was a huge part of your childhood. <laughs> so without further ado, the amazing Larry Houston. Welcome to the show, Larry. Hey, thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. I mentioned there, and I just barely tipped the iceberg with all the work you've done on when it came to basically huge parts of everyone's childhood and everyone's TV experiences growing up. How is it now knowing that you have, like, basically, I've got to say it is, shaped a particular part of the mind of a whole generation? It's... It's kind of, I'm, I'm really, I felt really blessed to be in the right place at the right time in the 80s and 90s because I was able to bring my, my fat, my, a combination of my fanboy approach to storytelling with blending it in with being a, a professional director and blending the two together to try and make the best shows that I could. Um, yeah, I, I, the shows I was able to be in charge of are the ones that I think I made the most difference because I was able to put my vision onto the screen for everybody to see. And the main one was like the X-Men. I was able to basically shape that show the way I wanted to see it. And, um, you know, it, to a lesser degree, it was also like um, when I did The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest and um, the other show was um, The Karate Kid, which nobody saw, but <laughs> it was fun to work on. Um and, you know, G.I. Joe and, uh, you know, the shows I, I was in charge of, uh, Captain Planet, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you really have. And to this day, the animated series of X-Men is widely considered the best on-screen version of the X-Men. So still to this day, what, 20-odd years later? <laughs> 20, 30 years later? Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. It's, it's um, the X-Men was a show that, when it got put on the air, except for a few executives, nobody believed the show was going to survive one season. Um, and because of that, they were kind of hands off in, in like micromanaging the show, which is great for me because it's like, okay, they thought I was going to, do, it was going to be one and done. So I said, okay, if I'm going to go out, I'll go out and blaze of glory and I'll make the show exactly the way I want to, as a, as a professional and as a professional fanboy, I want to put this version on the screen and hope, you know, I'll, I'll just follow my gut and make the show as best I could. And, you know, we were, one of the things that they thought were wrong, you don't kill a character off. Um, you don't do continued stories. Um, what was the third one? Oh, and you, you write, you're supposed to write down the kids, but we were one to write up the kids. You know, don't don't do Scooby Doo. Do something. You know, we don't we don't want to do Scooby Doo or Super Friends. We want to go up here. And they said it was all wrong, and then we were, we were doing it all wrong, and blah blah blah. You know, so the first season, I I really, I know a lot of people love the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix sagas, but for me, the first season was the hardest because if if that hadn't succeeded, there would have been no season two, three, four, five, and so. Um, that I, I poured my heart and soul, all of my fanboy knowledge and anime knowledge into that one season to make it the best I could. 
And it worked because oh, you know you guys you guys watched it. Yeah, like and I know. the reasons you listed there that they said it was all wrong were kind of the reasons why I personally was drawn to it. I love when a show isn't afraid to kill off a character, and as a kid, I loved that. It, I didn't feel like it was, as you said, talking down to me. It was on a level par with me. I could understand something, and if I didn't right. understand something, I'd ask a parent or an older cousin, "What does that word mean?" I didn't need to be like. <laughs> Messed I didn't need to be like handled with care. I just give me my X Men, and you did that. Right. Well, that's good because I I had a, a very similar thing happen to me when I was elementary school. I picked up my first. Um, I think it was either um, a Fantastic Four book back when the Silver Surfer was fighting the Thing, or there were there were words in there. I had no idea what they were, and I kept bugging my mother until she bought me a dictionary she said here you figure it out <laughs> you know and then that's how my vocabulary started growing but it wasn't like it wasn't like the teacher was forcing it's like i want to you know you want i wanted to learn and so um yeah so my, i have a similar s- situations like uh finding out what words meant what what this meant what that meant we um we decided myself story editors Eric and Julia Leewall, uh, we decided to, you know, try and do as accurate a depiction of the X-Men, you know, as we could. And, you know, even Marvel back in New York, they weren't, they were, they, they weren't sure about what we were doing. They were like keeping us at arm's length because they weren't sure if it was going to be a good show or not. And um, the thing is what they didn't realize is that myself Will Minio, Rick Holberg, the three of us were all comic book artists, comic book geeks, if you, if you want to call it that. But we we're also professionals. We had worked in the business for like, for like at least 11 to 12 years before we got the X-Men. So we had a, we had a lot of experiences in how to do production, do shows before it was handed to us, the X-Men. So we knew what to do. Yeah, and I tell and you now, we're looking at trying with to it. create that because nothing has hit the heights that's the, they've had some successes, but nothing has been as huge as that X Men series. Well, thank you. It's 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 a testament that um, we were. It, it's like lightning in a bottle. We were kind of like, luckily, we creatively, we we're all on the same page together. We all wanted to do the same thing, and believe it or not, the writers um, were not X Men fans. <laughs> They did not know the series. They didn't know the mythology and stuff. But myself, Will, and Rick, you know, we've been fanboys from like 70s, 80s, you know, 60s, whatever. And uh, especially me, I had all that knowledge in my head. I know this is, you know, this person like this, this one hated that one. There's a brother of this. this you know, I know all the relationships in my head uh, without even opening a book because it was all, all stuck inside. And so I educated the writers and story editors about about the characters so that then they could take the, those uh, relationships and and, uh, and they directly, they took the books. They read the books um, and then started adapting it for television. And um, the thing is with television, you know, you have a 32 page comic book you can read, but on television, it's only 25 minutes. Yeah. So you got to take books and adapt them so that it's, the the heart and soul of what the story originally was, you could put that up on the screen so people can they'll recognize the story, 
even even if it's not literal, it's it, it follows the the intent yeah. of the original story, and that's what we wanted to do. Yeah, I say like that was one of my questions was going to be how difficult was it to adapt these big kind of meaty stories into a 20 odd minute episode because it was done so well and I recognized each comic storyline as it came on in an episode and to this day I still do it's thank it's like I've been watching it back because for maybe the 10th 11th time has I just (laughs) (laughs) yeah they they the one thing good about the writers that we had was that they were they were very good at writing character dramas and so knowing how knowing how the each one related to each other they were able to construct um good stories around uh some of it original some of it is existing from the comic books and um then once they gave me the stories i made sure all the visuals um matched the comic books i i literally brought my collection of comic books from home into work and put it on a xerox machine and when we needed some characters i would just xerox it off because you got to no there was no <laughs> there's no internet back then where you could go no it was put it on the machine xerox it hand i handed it off to all the artists to work on um and that's how that's how you also got a lot of the cameos you know unexpected other marvel characters that would pop up here and there um that was stuff I did on my own. I I tried to put Spider-Man in once and uh, they, they told me no. And the next time I did cameos, I didn't include the name and it went through. So it's like, okay. That's why at the first appearance of the Black Panthers, uh, season two or three, I can't remember now, but he was called African Mutant number three. That was his name that when it went through the system. I think... Um, the watch was the alien mutant alien uh, mutant alien or something like that. It was all, all these weird names, but they were just called something else. But if you knew Marvel Comics, you knew oh that's the Watcher, oh that's Doctor Strange, oh that's Iron Man. You know, you you would know. Yeah, so you were finding loopholes for here and there. So you get these. <laughs> yeah, and it was fun. It was fun to put in once I discovered how to work the system. You know, and it is like you can tell watching it that. It was done, as you said, by a comic fan, someone who knows the lore, knows the backstories. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was the X-Men, were they your favorite comics growing up or did you have other favorite characters? The X-Men was my favorite. I, the other favorites I had uh, was back in, I guess they called it the Silver Age. Um, it was a book called The Legion of Superheroes over at DC Comics. And it's kind of basically similar to the X-Men where you have a bunch of kids with superpowers each one's got something individual, like like the X Men. Each one's got something different, um, but it was like Legion of Superheroes, Superman. Uh, at Marvel, it was Fantastic Four and X Men, Avengers, Thor. Um, I, I ran the gambit of like I loved all that stuff because I, I it it just it was like eating you know it's like it, it, I soaked it up every every month. We went out and buy the books and. Mm-hmm read it until the books were like were falling apart but just kept reading and i was lucky in high school i met up with um people who were just like you know comic book geeks and we were in art class and so i had a at least about six or seven of us we were all into comic books and we could uh talk to each other about 
what we picked up this month. Look at this artist, Kirby. Oh, look what Jabi Simmons doing. Oh, look at Dicko. Look at, you know, we look at the stories and how they related to each other. We were just, that was a lot of fun to actually meet like-minded um, artists and people that you could talk to about your, your you know, the stuff you read for fun. And you mentioned there, you also worked on, like, you've worked on a lot of shows um, in terms of Marvel. Like, there was the Fantastic Four show, uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and then Spectacular Spider-Man as well. And yeah, there, like, it's just, you're, if I was to list off all your credits here, that would be the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was lucky. Um, yeah, the... Uh, the, I got a chance in Spider-Man and it's Amazing Friends. I actually did write one. like It was like crazy. The first time I got there, I got a chance to write an episode. Uh, it was an episode called Swarm, where there's a bees are made look like a man and go after the, the spider friends. So I, I, wrote the, I wrote the story. I got paid for it, but I never got credit for it. But I got that was my story. Yeah. <sighs> so I, I got one of those in there. And... Um, on the on the amazing friends, whenever a script would be coming over, and it would have anything to do with the X Men, I tell I would tell the producer I want to do that part. <laughs> Give me that section of script. And every time that the X Men, I want I took that part of the show, and I was storyboarded because I was trying to show. First, it was fun. Second, it was a way of trying to show the networks the X Men. Yeah. Hey, this this would be a good good new TV show to put on the air. And so I'd always try and jazz it up and make it look really fun. And maybe back then it was only CBS, NBC, and ABC that maybe they would, you know, turn into a show. I mean, we I was one of the co-directors co, um, on a show called Pride of the X-Men. It was a pilot. And we did our best that they weren't interested in the show we did our best but it, you know it didn't it didn't uh it didn't work back then they the three networks didn't know what the hell's an x-men what's a mutant it's too complicated blah 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 you know whatever so it wasn't until like six years later that we got the real x-men on the air and then you went on you also worked on x-men evolution as well a very i find that still to this day has a very cult following that like i love the versions of the characters from that and i've seen when WandaVision was coming out, people were throwing up this uh, Wanda Maximoff from, uh, from the X-Men show, and they were like, this is Wanda Maximoff, not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, after I finished the X-Men, my, my, I have my friends, uh, Steve Gordon and Boyd Kirkland were in charge of that show. They're, we're all friends. And so they, you know, they did their, the other version, and they you know, asked me to do a couple of storyboards. I you know, did some storyboards on the show. It's fine. You know, it was not my version. It's another version, but you know, that's what the that's what the networks wanted. They didn't want it to do the X Men that I did. They wanted something totally different. So that's where that came from. I think take that as a compliment. I think they probably wouldn't want to do the X Men you did because nothing's ever going to live up. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, so they want they you know all th- there's three versions. Mine's. Uh, X-Men Evolution and then Wolverine and the X-Men. So I guess there's three of them out there. So, you know, there's there's a little flavor for everybody. And in terms of, um, do you keep up now? Do you enjoy the current movies now, the Marvel movies? Um, oh, the ones that are done by Marvel? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Um, I really admire um, Kevin Feige, what he's doing with the, with the, with the Marvel movies, because it, it shows that he's, um, he likes the Marvel characters. And um, I, I, you know, I get the feeling sometimes DC comics or Warner brothers, the movie part of, they're very embarrassed about having superheroes. And so they try and make him say, they, they try and make him into something that they're not. Whereas Kevin Feige at Marvel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's do the X-Men. Let's do Ant-Man. Let's do Thor. Let's he, he um, embraces the mythology and, you know, brings, takes the books and put it on the screen. And uh, the, the other good part is that what he does is that they had a plan like a 10-year plan of like how they're going to build up to a certain to Thanos. They're going to set up all the, the infinity stones. They're going to set up the relationships of each uh, property like Thor and, you know, Avengers, Iron Man, Ant-Man, stuff like that. Knowing that they're going to bring it together and make into, you know, Infinity Wars and Endgame. It's like, it was like, it's fantastic, and now he's doing. They're doing the same thing with Wandavision. She's, she's setting up another ten years of craziness that's going to happen, and they're going to probably, they're probably going to be adapting stories that I'm not familiar with, but it's going to be fun, you yeah. know. So I do love. Don't get you said about Marvel with the. There's a lot of storylines they've adapted over these 10, 12 years. The move, the cinematic universe has been running that I don't recognize, and it, I think yeah. it's a win-win when I don't recognize a story and. I would ask one of my friends on Twitter, what story is this from? And I say, this one, I'm going and buying that comic. So they're getting the same <laughs> in the movie. Yes. And, and yeah. on the vision now, everyone was theorizing how they're going to introduce the X-Men into the MCU. Oh, yes. They, they got me too, because I thought when they, when they did the Quicksilver switch, I was going, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> but, you know, since it, you know, it was like a, it was a false lead they put out there for, for the, everybody to go with. But the thing is, is that in, I think it's Doctor Strange movie, he introduced, he talks about, or the, the ancient one talks about the multiverse and different worlds and stuff like that. So the next Doctor Strange movie is going to be the, I think it's called the Multiverse of Madness yeah. with Wanda. So it seems like that could be a way for them to bring in the X-Men or, or mutants in general, I guess, or the Fantastic Four, because when you think about the last 10 years they've set up in their movies, where, where were they? Yeah. Where were the mutants? Where was Fantastic Four? How come we haven't seen them? The multiverse could be a reason why they, uh, how they come into, into our storylines. And with them coming in, do you, with the team, would you like to have that OG original X-Men team come in first <laughs> and then build on it? Or do you have an own, your own team you'd love to see come in? I, I, I like the team that we came up with for the, for the show, especially the superpowered rogue. I mean, that's the one character that really needs to be um, not, uh, with powers. I mean, rogue, the way we set it up, she is super strong. She can fly, southern accent. Um that's the one character I hope they get right. Yeah. Because um, the, the the ones they did in the movies from Fox, it just, it wasn't, it was, it was rogue and it wasn't rogue. Um, because you used to rogue being someone who could kick ass and, 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 and talk shit and <laughs> have fun, you know? Um, 
but you know, with Kevin, with Kevin there and, and John Farrell, uh, those two guys seem to have a handle on, on making good movies. So I'm just kind of sitting back and enjoying what's going on. You know, I just saw the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I know it's like it's not not it's not gonna be nine episodes, it's gonna be like six, I think. Yeah. So it's like each one's like a little chapter. It's like, okay, this is good. Let's see where they're gonna go with it. I'm just letting it I'm trying to avoid any kind of um uh, spoilers, kind of stay, you know, kind of avoid them and just I just wanna watch the show fresh. Uh, just like I'm just another member of the audience and just I just want to escape <laughs> into the film, you know, have some fun. Yeah. See, I love that. That was me with One Division as well. I, I had my own fan theories. They got me and I was I introduced a lot of people I know to Mephisto simply because of One Division. <laughs> I, I was I let, was left looking foolish. But I think that's the fun of what Marvel and Kevin Feige does. It opens you up and it lets fans what minds run wild at these theories. Yes. <laughs> ten, it's now you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they, they're going in a, in a direction that okay, that's a direction I didn't think about. And that's still that still follows the books. You know? It's, that kind of stuff. And that's that's fun. And would you, is there any X-Men that you think that you worked on that you think would serve better as a episodic TV show than a movie when they get introduced? Oh, wow. Um, there could be several. Is there one? Um, well, the, the, I would say the easiest one to do would be maybe Gambit. The hardest one might be the beast because you have, he has, you'd have to CGI him. You know, it's a lot of CGI work, with yeah. all the fur and everything and, and his size. Um, Gambit, because he has an out, the only thing he has is you'd have to do is put the contacts in for the eyes. And, um, and he's a character that can walk in and out of any, any situation, just like a normal person. Um, I guess the, the, other easy person, obviously, is going to be Professor X. Yeah. It's, uh, he's in a chair. He does, mm, you know, effects, effects. That's real easy, cheap to do, you know. Um, uh, I guess there's a couple. He didn't, he could even do Jubilee, I guess, because it's just a matter of her doing Zap and stuff happens. It, it will be interesting to see whether they put any in shows. Like, personally, for me, I'd love to see a Nightcrawler TV show. Just that would be yeah, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler's a very interesting character. It's a lot of makeup work though. Yeah, you know because he can't look normal. So every every shot is a CG shot. Yeah, because you also have that tail doing this stuff here and everything. Um, they tried to get around it, I guess, in some of the books by having something called um, an image something where he hits the button and it looks normal. They did it in evolution too. Yeah, kind of like Tony's vision. Yeah, as is just it's explained to make it a little easier. But uh, vision can just make himself look human. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that's one way to get around having to spend not spend a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They did that in first class X Men first class too, where they had the Beast being able to to be normal, so they would. It's less expensive that way. Yeah, it's yeah. I suppose this, they're masters at saving money and making money. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. They were but fun. um, 
Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I talked to my friends once about recently about how as awful as COVID has been, um, having almost a year off from any, having no superhero films was probably a good thing for the films, not for people, but yeah. for the films, yeah. because there's been a huge pause in having so many films come out, superheroes, that people were saying we're going to OD on them. Yeah. Well, we had a whole year with nothing. So now there's a pent up demand for escapism. And I think like WandaVision and the other ones coming out are really, there's a lot, there's a big audience for it. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think it was a year or just over a year between Spider-Man Far From Home and WandaVision. And it was just nothing. Nothing. I mean, and when, when the Mandalorian, Mandalorian came out, it was like, you know, wow. Okay, great. So we can, we don't have to think about COVID right now. We, we can just get into this adventure, this guy. It was great. Um, yeah, there's a so I think there's a big audience for it. And if they if if Marvel rolls out the Fantastic Four and the X Men properly in the next couple of years, it'll be it'd be great. And um, I'm just you know one thing for me because I'm I'm uh, what am I 66 years old now. I'm I'm um I'm so happy I lived long enough to see all my comic books on the big screen and. Actually, with a good budget and well written. Yeah, <laughs> what a bonus! You know, I had some really bad superhero shows in the '60s. Uh, you know, Captain America, Thor, uh, Thor, and Hulk, and it's like, ugh, no, it's it's it pales in comparison to what you guys got yeah. as entertainers. We were we were lucky. Like, I growing up for me, um, Blade was the one that kicked it all off. And then we had the X-Men, Fox X-Men, and then it was Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, which for me, I know it's a cult classic and people love it. And to a lot of people, that is their Spider-Man. To me, right. grew up, I read the Ultimate Comics was where I started. And I just could never settle with Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. And it just never <laughs> until Tom Holland whipped Captain America's shield off him in Civil War. And that was when I was like, okay, this is how I yeah. see Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great shot. And then they animated the eyes so that yeah. they could move a little bit. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah, yes. it's incredible. We're, so we're, um, Disney now haven't bought Fox out and basically Marvel have the rights back to the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. If they were going to do an animated show again, would you would you, would you you be the first name on the sign-up sheet? I've, I've said this before, but yeah, if, if they want to do another X-Men... Um, I would unretire to work on it, you know, and if I, I would, I was, I would say that even if it was just like a, a, a direct to video, direct to video movie, like a, just a one-off a one shot, I'd be up for that too, because we have stories that we never got to in the series, a couple of things. And, and it would be nice to, to do something to like button the series, you know, show them what we would have done if we would have had another season. I think we had five. So if we had gotten a sixth season, this is what we would have been able to do. Or, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's that's uh, probably the, probably the only series I would unretire from. So it's that near and dear to your heart. That's oh yeah, oh yeah, and all the voice actors except for Cyclops, unfortunately, because he passed away. 
but I'm with, I, I talk to all the voice actors, you know, and uh, Rogue and Gambit and, and everyone else, Wolverine. We're all ready to work on another version or continue what we already started. All I got to do is just give us a call or, you know, we're here. Um, and so I tell fans that if they, you have more clout than I do, the best thing to do is, is to, you know, to go on Twitter and talk, you know, talk to Disney Plus or John Farrow or, or Kevin Fagan. Just let them know what you want to see. If you want to see some more X-Men, you know, let them know. Because that's where, that's where it starts. Yeah, I think the trick to that as well, actually, that you mentioned, is when you're trying to convince a studio, big studio to bring something back. I think we've seen the good and the bad side of that with the release the Snyder Cut. I think there were yeah. <laughs> a lot of people who were just calmly, nicely saying, we want to see this movie. But then the problem was the other 50% that were a bit too overexcited, to put it lightly. <laughs> That's a good diplomatic way of putting it, yes. Yeah. So there's, there's a good, yeah, a good and bad to that type of uh, harassment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you mentioned there, the voice actors. That was another thing I wanted to bring up. The voice actors for the show were perfect. When I was reading comics, it was almost like, this is exactly how I imagined Wolverine and Cyclops and Rogue to sound. It's yeah. like spot on. How did you, like, were you part of the hiring for the voice actors or... Yes, I was. I was one of five who was part of the, the decision making in picking the uh, voice actors. Now, initially, we had people who did those characters, but they did it. They did it all wrong because they did it more like a, like a Super Friends cartoon, you know, really high pitched, you know, and. and, and they didn't talk to each other. It was all wrong. So we had to recast the show. And instead of going for a traditional co- uh, cartoon voice people, uh, we went to people who did stage plays, people who, who did live action performances. And so everybody we got was someone who they worked in stage plays. And so they brought that type of um, experience in doing live action performances to their voice. And uh, we made sure that what we wanted was that type of uh, talent to, to bring it out into the show. So a lot of the, like the guy who does Beast, that's, if you, that's his voice. You talk to him, that he's, that's his normal voice. Um, Jubilee, the same thing, that's her normal voice. Well, not anymore, but she's gotten older. But um, Rogue, you call her up on the phone, that's, you're going to hear your sugar. And she's a, a Canadian, but she talks that way. <laughs> All things, yeah. Um, let's see. Gambit was uh, Gambit, yeah. Gambit, Rogue, uh, Beast was another one. Wolverine. Okay, Wolverine. That's a voice, but um, it's. It's. It. All he has to do is lower his register when he's talking, but he does Wolverine in a blink of an eye. You can pull it out. And um, yeah, um, let's see who else. Jean Grey, that was her normal voice. So the one of the things, you know, all of them, and all of them did stage plays. So uh, the act, working in theater. So that's where, that's where those, the quality of the voices came from, from these guys. And they really brought those characters to life. 
yeah, like they like I said, they were they were so spot on in my mind, and I was just any X Men show or animated show that they tried, even with Evolution, as much as I enjoyed the different take, I just couldn't yeah. get my mind around it because these voices from your one were still in my head, and I was like, Wolverine sounds weird in this show, and it was, I think because it was like growing up, that was my show. I think it stuck with me, and I think it's <laughs> never gone away. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Kind of like when you read the books, you can hear you can you can hear their voice in the characters that you're reading in the books. It's like, yeah, Cal Dodd is going to always be Wolverine for me because that's what when I read it, I I can hear him saying the words. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like I said, you've worked on so many shows and so many like very successful and iconic shows, but. X Men seems to be that just main feather in the cap. Even talking to you about it now, you're just you're you're full of smiles. You're you're excited, and it's just brilliant to see that the X Men. That was stuff. my yeah. That was my favorite most out of all the because I worked I worked for two. What is it? Um, Thirty. Oh crap! What is it? Thirty-two years. I worked in the business out of the entire that entire range. The X Men was like my favorite. I worked on that for like four years. The first four years I did, I produced and directed the show. And I had all the, I basically made all the decisions in the show in terms of visuals. And uh, it was like the best time out of all the 30 years was that, was that time. And you've done um, some live action storyboard as well. I only realized uh, when I was doing my research that you've done um, a storyboard for uh, the show Community. Oh, God, yes, that's right. <laughs> they called me up because they wanted to do a G.I. Joe uh, story. So they called me up to do um, new opening titles. So I, I did new opening, a new intro, like like the old G.I. Joe titles. And then I, I think I storyboarded one of the acts, either act two or one. It might have been act two. But anyway, yeah, I worked on that show, too. That was a lot of fun. How does it, like how different is it between animated shows and live action with doing the storyboarding? Is there is it a different challenge? With well, with uh, the different, it, it's yes, it's a different challenge in terms of like when you're doing animation, you're doing the entire choreography of the scene, <laughs> meaning that the character comes in, picks up the glass, drinks it, gives their dialogue. When you're dealing with live action, you just setting up the shot like okay he's in a chair like i'm sitting things are behind him and you might have one gesture and that's it and then the actors and director takes it from there you know it's basically setting up the shots and yeah then everybody runs with it from that point forward so basically with the live action you build the foundation but with the animation you build the house yes exactly yeah it's a lot more. It's a lot more work for animation, especially going to get it right. Yeah. Because if you try and draw it with shorthand, when it goes overseas and comes back, you're not going to be happy with it because they're only going to do what you told them to do. And with the the, I'm, I find myself. I, try, I told myself before this I wasn't going to just keep badgering you about the X Men, but I find my mind going back constantly to the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have a favorite episode that you you done? Was it was there a favorite, or was there too many good ones to pick between? There, there's a lot of good ones, but the first one that comes to mind is season one, the very last episode. 
because when I did that episode, I had no guarantee of a season two. There's no guarantee of another season. And so I said, okay, this is my last shot at doing the X-Men. So I put my heart and soul into the show. I read, I read did stuff. I, re, I redrew a lot of stuff in the show, all the choreography. Um, and, you know, tried to make it uh, the best episode I could. There's parts of it like when, like when make uh, let's see the scene of um, Xavier getting ready to die bomb uh, Master Mole, and Magneto joins them to protect the ship as they fight the, the the robot together. Well, that wasn't in the script. I made it up. And then when they blow up the robot and he's in the parachute, they have that conversation. That wasn't in a script. I made it up because I wanted to reestablish they, that they're frenemies. Yeah. You know, they have a, a relationship. He's not just a bad guy. Let me shoot the missiles and kill the world. You know, it, it was more deeper than that. Because the scene where Wolverine is in a cave fighting the Sentinels and it goes black and white, black and white, you know, it strobes. I made all that up because I wanted to do something that hadn't been done before. So I was challenging myself to come up with some interesting visuals that had not been seen before. So that's where that came from. And there are other pieces and stuff, but um, I made that my uh, swan song. It's like, okay. And it literally, it was the delivery. We're getting ready to deliver the last show. I had storyboarded uh, Gene and Scott on a blanket talking about having kids, getting married. And it ends, the, the original shot was them on a hill sunset fade out that was it and then at the literally at the very last minute they said don't don't go anywhere don't find another job you got to pick up a season two but you got to change that ending so we literally had to create something we created this like bogus uh, cgi uh, computer screen with blinking lights and stuff and then we we re-sequenced it so that when jane says um who knows what future holds for us? We had a technician. Just we grabbed someone and said, "Here, say this," and he said, "Sinister knows what your future holds," and we added a like a computer shadow, and that was it. And that was the new ending for season one. But we had no, you know, that wasn't the real voice actor. It was just somebody we grabbed to do the voice. And uh, but that to me was my favorite episode beside um time fugitives you know a rogue story there's a whole bunch more phoenix dark phoenix but that one's the first one because it it was one that uh i had you know i had no idea if i was going to keep working i was going to move on to another show okay that's it it's that's that's crazy. I, I I did not know that that was changed like that last second, and you must have had a feeling that like you were told as you said from the start that they didn't think this was going to work. So when they told you it was season two, there must be have been just a little bit inside of you that went, ha, yes, <laughs> that was a huge like yes, we got a season two, great, okay, and uh, but you know my, it's it it was one of those things that. Season two, season, when you think about all the seasons that we had, um, the network was, they were, even though they picked us up, they were still cautious. They only said, okay, you got another 13. Let's see what you can do with this. And so we 
we would only have 13 episodes that we would all plot out, okay, what are we going to do for 13? They would all talk together so I could figure out what to draw or what have people to draw. So I could, I could, I could be one step ahead of what the story was. What we were really wanted, hey, guess what? You got two years to pick up. Okay, yeah. great. Now we can do, we could, we could plan out, we could plan out like 26 episodes. And so we could set up all these little subplots and characters. We could do this entire really complicated story that, that comes together at the end. But they only gave us two, they only gave us renewals for every 13. Here's 13. Okay, here's another 13. Here's another, you know, we did that for five years. It's, that's, it seems like they were like that seems like the thing with animated shows back then it seems like no one wanted to give them any guarantee whereas no. like you have the likes of Friends that was picked up for 10 seasons that unpopular opinion here uh, lost they stopped being interesting after season 3 but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but they had a huge pickup and it's like that's that's something we would have loved to have had to, to have you know one thing it would have guaranteed us work for two years and each, you know, each 13 episodes is about a year's worth of work. So having a pickup of more than one season would have been excellent for us. And we could plan out stuff better. But it was not to be. That's the way that, you know, things happen. Um, so... Uh, it's just, it's with, um, with Marvel I've noticed well, I'm not sure if your opinion would match mine here they're starting to get into the animation stuff again now but it seems like it's the one place DC was able to kick their ass in the last few last decade was animated stuff, animated properties oh, like yeah. movies like Flashpoint Under the Red Hood and yeah. you worked on um, Supermac, Supermac, Superman the Brainiac one I, remember, I mixed their two names together there in my mind for some reason <laughs> <laughs> yeah what yeah they, oh sorry go, go ahead I was going to say yeah they did you know my my, there were friends of mine who, who worked on that stuff, um, Bruce Tim, Dan Reba, and people like that, that we all came we all got into business about the same time. And um, yeah, and they they get it. They know how to make good animated cartoon shows because they're also fanboys. Yeah. Um, Bruce Tim and I uh, started at Filmation together. And um along with um, Boyd Kirkland, along with um, other uh, artists. I can't, I'm trying to pick, remember the names right now, but basically we all started there and kind of branched out. Um, let's see, one of the X-Men artists, his name is uh, Paul Smith. He worked there with us. Dave Stevens, uh, Rick, uh, Russ Heath. Um, we all kind of started there and just went out into the animation world and, and, and did other did, did stuff and we got we got a lot of opportunities to try and do uh, uh, new new things uh, Bruce and I worked on I don't know if you know He-Man comic book the He-Man toy sorry Yeah. there's a comic book in the back yeah. well I drew those and I, Bruce Tim was my inker I did not know that <laughs> yeah I don't know if they're I don't know if they're here or not let's see my room's a little mess right now, but I had that one. Oh, there they are. You know, these little things like, uh, let's see, things, these little things. Those are the ones I drew. Let's see if I can find. Okay, this is the first one. So I got, it's a whole stack of these little things, little guys here. And this is like, um, 
Let's see. There he is. Yeah, he is. I made up that, that that bad guy called Geldor. He was at the time I was thinking Mr. T was on was on TV, so I made him like a, that was my inspiration with Mr. T versus uh, He Man. That's incredible. That kind of yeah. Uh, that, that room just seems to be just filled with memories. Oh, it's, it's, it's junky. Yeah, this is one of the comic books I did at DC Comics. Um, I'm up at the top. All Star Squadron working with Roy Thomas. So yeah, I was. It was fun because I was. Oh, I worked on like a hundred and. 118 episodes of Ninja Turtles. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I was uh, working at Marvel Productions in a day and Ninja Turtles at night. And uh, what you see on some of these things is like whenever I worked on the TV show, if they had toys, they gave us free toys. So I got all the turtles on that wall over there. Uh, Robocop's up there, Black Star, Superpowers, um, Swamp Thing, dark buckular hair, and dark waters over there somewhere. As it's, they're just, they're just, they're just push pinned in the wall <laughs> on some Captain Planets over there. That's like a comic comic fans heaven right there. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned yeah. turtles there. One of your shows that you worked on, that uh, a friend of mine when he found out I was talking to you on the show, it was the first show he brought up. He was a huge fan of the Ghostbusters animated show. Oh. Yes, that was a lot of fun to work on. Yes, I was working with that with uh, Will Manio was a supervising director, and so I worked on that show with him, um, and that was a lot of fun. And that was a lot of fun. We got a chance to do ghost bustings, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't. I'm trying to remember some of the storyboards, and I can't pull them up right now. But um, I know we did something. The one I remember a name called. Instead of polter guys, it was poultry guys and stuff like that. Um, some other shows where I think there was an episode where the Ghostbusters from another universe comes in and stuff like that. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. You Ghostbusters were doing multiverse yeah. before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see what else. The other one. One was Karate Kid. Another one was um, oh crap. What was another one. Ghost, but oh, Captain Planet, duh. I was the director on Captain Planet, that's right. Like, kind of blurs together. It's like, what did I work on? It must be yeah. amazing to like look back and all these things you've worked on. And again, you see all these fans on Twitter that, like, I haven't seen a day go past where I haven't seen one tweet about the animated X Men series. Like, it's there's someone mentioning it every single day. It just it hasn't gone away in almost 30 years. That's great. You know, that it's really satisfying because there was a point when um, I think after when I finished the X, the about the year 2000 until, oh, I don't know, maybe 2000 until I guess until Disney bought until Disney bought the X-Men properties. um, I pretty much me and my friends, we all thought that they people forgot about the show because it wasn't you couldn't buy tapes. It wasn't any visible anywhere. And um, when myself and the voice, voice talent, and when the voice, the vo- uh, sorry, the story editors, we go on to conventions, we didn't get any support from Marvel because Marvel didn't own it. It was Fox. Yeah. 
And so they didn't want anything to do. They didn't want to, they didn't want to promote the X-Men at all. So we were kind of like the bastard child running around trying to talk, hey, I did the X-Men, I did the X-Men, you know? It's like, we were kind of like lone wolves out there. And then when Disney bought it, and suddenly we we're back in the family again. <laughs> so now that we're on Disney Plus, a new generation discovered it, and they really liked it. They still have good memories of it. And uh, it's kind of, it was very nice. I mean, once they bought it, we got into conventions and people remember the show really well and actually the voice actors were the most surprised because when they we brought them down from canada to the shows i mean their 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 tables would be flooded with fans who want autographs and talk to them and stuff and they were really like overwhelmed at all the good um how well received the show was even in canada it was like x-men what you know it, it didn't take off like it did in the states even even over here in Ireland, it was, like it was it was huge here. Like I, me and a couple of my friends, just it was all we used to talk about in in school. And it was <laughs> yeah, like we loved it. It was just one of it was probably the best show of my childhood up there with the Spider Man show that was on Fox in the late nineties. Right. Yes. And those two were just the two shows I always wanted to talk about. <laughs> but that's yeah that show was produced by my friend uh john semper so if you ever want to talk to him i, I can hook you up so you can interview him if you want oh that would be amazing thank you i, I didn't want to ask about any of your connections i didn't want you to feel like i was just trying to <laughs> bounce over here i'm 100 focused but yeah that would be amazing i'd love to speak to him too that means yeah huge parts of my childhood i would have spoken to <laughs> Like his, yeah, I can I can, well, I can pass on your information and see what he does. So. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. I, I won't keep you for too much longer because, as you said, you're probably tired. You're signing loads of stuff for cons, and I'm, I know cons have changed now with COVID. It's a lot of uh, Zoom conventions now. Yeah, everything is Zooming. <laughs> That's all I can do anymore. How is I'm, this? Day? I'm hoping that, yeah, I'm hoping that once everybody, I should say, once a majority of people get the um, get the shots, the the conventions will st- hopefully will start coming back. Yeah, because the um, I know one of the reasons they're not obviously is people getting infected, but also you know companies getting sued. So yeah. if there's less liability of that going on, then there's more people there. There's a chance more conventions can can get started. So I'm 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 hopeful to either late, you know, winter of this year, but. Unless something happens, I'm definitely saying, okay, next year, I think everything will be back. Yeah, uh, brilliant. Because it's, I missed the conventions this year. I really did. It's, I do a lot of my networking at conventions as well as on Twitter. And that's how I get yeah. talking to artists and writers and people who come on the show. And I missed that this year. I missed the human interaction of it. You know, one thing is that over there, I'm not sure what the, what the biggest convention is where you live, but... If you can ever talk, if you can ever talk to any of the promoters over there, tell them that you know where I'm available. So are the voice actors. Um, they usually book us as a group. We can we can visit over there and and talk to the fans. Yeah, no, I'm 100 going to bring that up next time they mention the convention. The biggest one here is Dublin Comic Con. That's just that's the big one. There's smaller ones throughout the year, but that's the major one. Yeah, and you know, sometime next year, tell them, hey, we're we're here. We love to come over and visit. 
Yeah, fantastic. Um, sorry, it's been one moment. The dog is looking to get out. It's always when I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. It's always I, this is the longest I've gotten through uh, recording without the dog barking or looking to bark. <laughs> it's going so well. Um, oh god! Yeah, he needed a bathroom break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man. Last couple of questions, Rihanna. I'll, I'll um, let you get back to hopefully relaxing. Don't to keep the rest them hands. Don't be signing too much stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's um, it, it's fine. You know, it's I, I have they, they they the the what is the company called? Um, uh, Wizard World. I got a stack about this much of prints. I got to sign downstairs. And um, when I finish with this, I'm going to go finish it. Then I got to take it off to the post office and mail it off and stuff. So it's 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 good to you know stay in touch with the fans. That's the that's one of the nice things about some of these conventions like Wizard World because it, it it's uh, keeping us engaged with the fans. And that's incredible that you're doing that. That you're like for the fans, and I'm sure there's going to be so many people completely fanboying when they receive their these in the post. <laughs> Yeah, that's that was to me. That was one of the reasons I put in so many cameos into the series is that um, when I would add a cameo, um, I, I put it in there for the fans, but I tried to insert them into the show when it didn't interfere with the original story so that if a regular person saw it and saw the cameo, it would be just like a utility pole or 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 a chair. Yeah. It wouldn't mean anything to them. But if you were a fan, you saw, you caught a glimpse of another character. Mm. It was like, wow, did you see that? You know, that kind yeah. of stuff, you know, you know, seeing, seeing the watcher, seeing the eternity, seeing Iron Man, seeing, um, what's another one? Um, Thor, um, seeing these other characters pop up. It, it just, I know what it feels like to see those kind of cameos. Cause that's what, Stan would do when I was reading my books in the 60s. It's that I'd have, I'd be reading Spider-Man and in one panel, they'd have a Thor would go through. And then Stan would have a footnote. Um, if you want to see where Thor's going, go ahead and buy issue, tells the suspense, blah, blah, blah. Because he was like cross promoting the books, but he accidentally created this connected universe because they're all in the same city. And um, I remember that thrill I had reading that in the books and so i just transferred that same enthusiasm from a kid and i put it into the show uh, the, that to me is from what you on the show and with the comic books little cameos like that have actually helped me get into other characters i was exclusively spider-man when i first started reading comic books and then i right. branched off into other heroes as they would appear in spider-man books i'd be like oh he looks interesting he looks cool like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna go read it yeah it's a good, yeah, it's a good way of introducing you to another character. And if it's written in the books, I'm talking about in the books, it's a way of, uh, oh, go check out this. Go check it. You know, it's a great thing to do. But for me, it was like also you, you see a character and suddenly you see Deadpool. It's like, oh, my God. What? <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I knew people would love it. You know, and part of it, what I tell people, tell fans is that um, when I'm working, I try and I try and minimize 
my adult cynicism and put it over here. I try and remember what it's like to be nine years old reading a comic book. And, and when I'm drawing stuff or when I'm directing stuff, I try and put that into the show. Because if I can get the little boy in me still excited about something, hopefully it'll translate on screen to someone else. That, that is, that's just that's exactly what you want. And I love, I love hearing that. And it, it was blatantly obvious in the show that this was done by a comic fan. And I think that's why so many people <laughs> took hold of yeah. it and have held it close to their chest all these years as the on-screen version of the X-Men. And that that's that so far until until Feige can put up at least some competition to your X-Men on screen. <laughs> they are the only on-screen X-Men. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm hopeful. I am I'm I'm confident that the version that they're gonna do, they they will do a version that, that will satisfy the fans. I'm I'm I don't know what they're gonna do because obviously I don't have any inside knowledge, but I'm confident that they will respect the original series. Yeah, they, they do seem to respect the comics a lot. And like like I said, for me, I know there's people who don't like Tom Holland Spider-Man. For me, reading Ultimate Spider-Man, he is the ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, right. And that's what I do like about Marvel is there. And I like about the X-Men show is they were loyal to at least one version of the comics history. Right. I have, and, you know... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the one thing I tell fans to think about is that um, the films, the, the animated shows, they are adaptations of the book. And so you can't really adapt the book, you know, 100%. Yeah. Because a book is different from a film. But as long as you keep the core elements and the intent and the heart of the book into the film or the show, that's all you can ask for, you know, yeah. have someone that people that can respect the, if you respect the source material and put it on the screen. I mean, it's just, it makes it so much enjoyable, you know, you know, when, when Captain America picks up Thor's hammer, it's like my audience lit up. Yeah. I, mean, I had to see the film twice just to hear <laughs> what the hell did he say? Because <laughs> it was screaming and hollering and stuff. And it was like, and that's a, that was a fanboy moment. My, my wife saw it and she didn't understand What's so exciting about him picking up a hammer? <laughs> it, it was just one of them things. Like, I am going to get my partner into all the movies now. And it was Endgame when Spider-Man came through the portal after oh yes. after being dusted and he comes through the portal. I'm a comic fan. I knew he wasn't gone forever. But when he came through the right. portal, I still I grabbed their leg and I was, like, I was about to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I know you see Spider-Man, you see all the characters come through the pearl. The main, the, the kicker was like, you know, you see Captain, it was like a fantastic scene of this long shot. You see Captain America on one side against this entire fleet of army. It was like a, such a gorgeous shot. And the next cut you see is close on Captain America and you hear on your left. Yeah. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and then it, it start just start happening. All the portals and, and Doctor Strange, Spider-Man. Um what's the other one? Um the, the Star Lord people. Um it just all started coming back and it's like you see the Black Panther people. It's like everybody was just and then when he says, 
you know, he calls the hammer bank Avengers and he says the assemble so light, so small. Yeah. Oh man, the audience <laughs> lit up. That's what we've been like, 10 years for, to, for him to say those two words. Yes. And I didn't realize that they had never said those two words together ever, except for that one moment. They, they did start to say it before, but they cut it off in one of the other films. And, I think it was and, Age of Ultron in the post credit scene. I think they teased it. He said Avengers, and then they just cut it off there. Cut it off. <laughs> yeah, and you're wondering, what? <laughs> but it saved, and it was great. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. Larry, it was absolutely amazing to talk to you. I have one final question for you, and this might be a silly question, but your ringtone on your phone, is it the animated X-Men animated series? Theme yes. Yes. Okay, yes. Uh, I, I can go to sleep happy. <laughs> I need still the greatest theme music to any show ever. It was, it was, a yeah. The, the very, and just so you know, that version of the X-Men intro was maybe the 13th or 14th version. It wasn't the first one out of the bat. The composer that we were working with, would he was used to just, making up anything and we kept sending it back sending it back sending it back um because it wasn't right for the show and then somewhere in one of the versions he had a little piece da, 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 da. it was like it was just a little piece and a whole bunch of stuff we said look take that part blow it up do something with that part and that's where he started coming up with the with the music and that's where it started from but it wasn't the first thing out the out the gate no they had, that was a lot of crap i'll just put it that way a lot of crappy openings that we were going oh no god no no send it back no and he kept trying and trying and trying and so until we got the one we got and then i drew the i drew the intro i don't know if you knew that yeah uh, that was gonna bring that up next before i let you go with that intro just <laughs> with the music perfection that was the only word I can think of. Yeah, the um, the intro. I actually, I drew about three minutes of storyboards. It's in the the book that I that Eric came out with. I don't have it here, and I drew about three minutes of animation. Then we we cut it down to just the stuff you saw. But I drew a whole lot more than what we needed. It you know had it had everybody and it had the brood. It had um, it had dark phoenix. It had uh, apocalypse. It had a whole bunch of stuff, and then we just called it down to to one minute. It's still I still get chills when I see like I'd, I'd be flicking through TikTok sometimes. I use TikTok to promote, and I see people bring up the animated series, and I'll hear that first, and just straight just straight away, then I see the intro coming in. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm this little kid again sitting with my bowl of cereal watching the show. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad it brings back the, but I tell you, I'm glad it brings back good memories for everyone because it was, uh, I had to draw that over a weekend. I had no time because a lot of people didn't believe in the show. So they didn't give, they didn't give me a lot of time to uh, think. So when I drew the intro, I had to draw it fast. So that was like over a weekend, the X-Men intro. And then we cut it down to a minute that we had the music, we got music to match what we what I had drawn, and uh, it was like this. Get it done, okay? They didn't get they didn't give me a t- lot of time to think. Yeah. I just had to go on like a gut instincts, 
Um, first thought, put it on paper. Okay, that's it. Okay, next one. Uh, that's a lot of stuff. That That's how a lot of stuff got done. Well, it paid off. It worked. Your good instincts. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. It was, I feel really good, good about everything now. At the time, it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> You're just drawing and hope everything turns out right, you know? Um, that was, yeah, that was also the, um, I, I did the G.I. Joe movie intro. That's right. And it was kind of the same thing. I had no time, so I just started drawing stuff. And it was like Cobra attacking the Statue of Liberty and G.I. Joe comes and stops him. And I was like, I had to just make up stuff and draw stuff and just come up with it quickly. It's, it's honestly, like I said, it's incredible with everything you've worked on. And like I knew from the start, I knew the X-Men animated series. I knew there was Spider-Man as Amazing Friends. But the more research I've done coming into this, the more I've seen that you actually worked on and it. It's basically everything, almost everything I watched growing up. <laughs> like, yeah, 80s and 90s, it was fun. I, I got a chance to work on almost everything. Everything action adventure. At the end of at the end, I was working, believe it or not, I was working on Care Bears. <laughs> I did see that. And that was that yes. was a very opposite approach to what <laughs> Yes. I had to talk them into it because they they didn't believe I could work on Care Bears, but I said, No, I'm a director. Come on, give me a shot. So I worked on a CBS series, and then I did three Care Bear movies. So it's just multi-talented. That's that's like I was, at first I looked twice when I seen Care Bears, and I was like, <laughs> "Yes, I know that's, that's wrong." It's like Care Bears, huh? what? Yeah, I did. that's what they did. <laughs> I had to talk them into it back then, you know. But it worked out. I got a chance to flex some different muscles other than superheroes, and um, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> So you mentioned now you're you're retired and it's oh, the only thing that'll make you come back is the X-Men. So is it just kind of now, is it just there's the conventions now is kind of almost like a hobby at this stage? Yeah. It's 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 a fun way it, it's a fun hobby. Whenever they come back, um well let me put it whenever they come back, I'll be there. Yeah. But before before they get cancelled, um it was a very uh, nice way of my wife and I getting out the house. Yeah. They they pay for our vacation. We go for a weekend over here in, in Oregon or Florida or Texas, and uh, it was it was yeah quite enjoyable. I enjoyed those. So you know, meeting all the fans and, and getting out the house. <laughs> hopefully, you're back soon, and we can uh, secure you a trip to Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, talk to some promoters out there. Say next year they're available. You know, just talk to you know the 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 agent. There's one agent that works for them for us, and you know, just give them a call. I will definitely be doing that. Like, look, I am extremely appreciative. I'm still starstruck uh, talking to you, but I'm very appreciative for you coming on and talking to me today. And I would just like to say thank you very much for everything you've done in terms of my childhood TV experience. And also thank you very much for coming on and speaking to me today. You're an absolute gentleman and I am going to get you over to Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed talking with you and I hope to do so again soon, hopefully in person. It'll be good. And uh, yeah. So thank you for inviting me.
no problem at all. Listen, uh, stay safe and hopefully this will all go back to some form of normal soon. <laughs> oh, you and me both. Fingers crossed. <laughs>